This morning, we're finishing up our sermon series on Jonah, and we will be in Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, good to be with you. Haven't met you yet. My name is Nate. Um, so a number of years ago, uh, I was listening to a church leader, and he was telling this story. And he said, imagine there was a young woman anywhere between the 5th to the 16th century. And she's, she's leaving her hometown. She's heading off somewhere in the ancient Near East. And the question he asked was, where would she be looking? And he said, without a shadow of a doubt, in that time, she would have been looking for a church. And then the person said this. He said, one of the reasons for that during that time, there was this kind of monastic movement. At every place, there was a person that was assigned to stand by the door of a church and actually to look for those that were coming. And they had instructions on even how to welcome. And then he said this, now imagine that same woman today. And he said, today, for several reasons, this woman is not looking for the church, and the church is not looking for her. The speaker went on to share several reasons for this, some of which I connected with, others of which were maybe a bit more specific to his context. But that metaphor, that picture of someone looking out for a place of help, for a place of assistance, and they're not looking for the church, and the church not looking for them, uh, that haunted me. You know, in a sense, you know, we've been in the book of Jonah the last five weeks. We, we wrap up today, and if I could say anything, it's this, is that we would live into, lean into why we exist. Um, we've talked about this week after week, that our vision is to renew our city through the gospel. In other words, it's outward facing. That we don't necessarily exist for ourselves, that we actually exist for this city and the hope of the gospel. And the book of Jonah has showed us one thing. It showed us that in order to do that, we are to be a people who are filled with compassion. Now, um, as we wrap up the book today, we actually see two kinds of compassion. 
We're going to see Jonah's compassion, and we're going to see God's compassion. And then, if you remember, the book ends with a question. And the question is, what is our response going to be? So, let me pray, and we'll get in. Father, um, this morning, as we once again step into this book, which at times can be very uncomfortable because we see ourselves in it, would you, through your Son, by your Spirit, illuminate for us once again your heart for us, your heart for this city, and would you help us not remain the same? And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, firstly, Jonah's compassion. Uh, verse 10, the very beginning, this is what we read. God speaking, and he says this to Jonah, you pity the plant. Okay, first of all, that word pity, that's the underlying word in the Hebrew for what we get our word compassion. It means to have to look upon something with concern, to be deeply troubled, to be invested in it. And here we see Jonah is deeply troubled. He is deeply concerned, and it's about a plant. Now, at this point, if you've never been here or you're just stepping into the story, you're like, wait, what is going on here, right? Why is Jonah so compassionate about a plant? Well, here's what's happened. The very beginning of the text, Jonah had gone to the east of the city of Nineveh, and he had gone there to pout. It's like a grown-up tantrum. He is so upset, and the reason why he's upset is because in Jonah 3, he willingly went to Nineveh, told the people God's message, and they repented, and then guess what happened? God didn't pour out judgment on them. God had compassion, and Jonah is upset that God has had compassion on his enemies. And he's been a willing participant, right? So, in verse 6, God appoints a plant to grow up over Jonah because he's east of the city. It's hot. It's going to be hot there. Let's give him some comfort. In fact, what's really interesting, the text says, that the Lord did this to save him from his discomfort. And what's particularly interesting is that word for discomfort is actually the same word in the original language in Jonah 1 and Jonah 3 when it talks about Nineveh's wickedness. The author is telling us something here. Do you see what's happening? God is having compassion and mercy on Jonah in a small way, saving him from his, his evil, his discomfort. But listen, the Lord of the creation, God, he's not done yet. <laughs> the next day, he appoints a worm to eat the plant. I mean, seriously? Yeah, that's literally what it says. Appoints a worm to eat the plant, and so the plant dies. And then the Lord's not done the Lord appoints an east wind, which would have brought about tremendous heat, and it beat down on Jonah. And all of a sudden, he's so beat down that he's ready to die. 
And then Jonah's angry. And in verse 9, God asks him a question. He says, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah has this quick retort. Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And then this is where God says, you pity the plant. Listen, even telling the story, it's a rather strange episode, is it not? But what this does is it illuminates, it exposes Jonah's heart. It exposes Jonah's compassion, the kind of compassion he has. And I'll just say, there's two things about Jonah's compassion. Firstly, his compassion is disordered. What do I mean? He pities a plant more than people. Um, You know, in verses 10 and 11, it's kind of this like lesser than to greater thing argument from God. God says, hey, if, if you are like willing to pity the plant, if you're, if you're care about that, are you okay if I pity this great city over here, Nineveh? It's just like, if you're going to do that, is it okay if I do this? It's this lesser to greater. Jonah values plants over people. It's disordered. But secondly, it's self-centered. Um, <laughs> Jonah's angry throughout chapter 4, and if you remember, we talked about this a week or two ago. You know, anger is like cars, like the dashboard on your car. Any emotion is, right? Like, but it's, it's saying something's going on inside, and we said anger is like this. Anger is when something you love is threatened. So, you know, for example, if you've got kids and someone bullies your kids, you are going to get upset. Why? Because you love them and there's something being done to hurt them. Well, what is being threatened with Jonah here? It's his comfort. That's what's being threatened. The plant was a source of comfort. In other words, Jonah's compassion is self-centered. It is driven by what's going to provide him comfort in life. And, you know, one of the things about chapter 4 that is interesting is there's a juxtaposition with these questions. Um, You may notice in verse 8 or 9, God says, do you do well to be angry about the plant? But in chapter 4, verse 4, God says, "Do do you do well to be angry? And that was in light of Jonah's anger towards God showing compassion on Nineveh. And if you remember, the reason why he was upset about that is because now his people's enemies are going to keep living and they're a threat to him. It makes his life uncomfortable. Jonah's compassion, we learn, is a disordered compassion. It values plants over people. It's self-centered. It's driven by personal comfort. That's what we see about Jonah's compassion. But we also see God's compassion. Look with me at verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I 
Here it is, pity Nineveh, the same word. In other words, God's saying, be deeply concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there was more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. God even con- God's even concerned about the cattle. There are two things I want to point out about God's compassion. Actually, both these are derived. It's appropriate this week in some regards with Tim Keller passing. Um, he pointed these out. Um, one is God's compassion is voluntary. When God says to Jonah that he didn't labor or make it grow regarding the plant, it is saying actually that, God is saying actually that I, I was a part of actually seeing that city grow. The Ninevites, I was a part of that. I helped actually make this grow. And you know, for us today, 120,000 doesn't seem like a lot, but in that day, a large city was 4,000. This is a huge city. And God is saying, there are so many of my people who reflect my image there, who do not know their right hand from their left. In other words, they're completely lost. And they don't know it. Is it not right for me to show compassion towards them? I know them. I see them. And this is remarkable. Keller notes this way, God willingly attaches his heart to Nineveh. And here's why that's different. Because for us, listen, when we have a friend or a close relative that's going through suffering or some hardship, we have compassion. It's natural for us. But what's interesting about God is that theologians call this the self-sufficiency, a sadie of God, which means he is not dependent on us. He is not dependent on his creation. In other words, he's perfectly happy in and of himself for who he is within the triune nature of God. He doesn't need us In other words, he could stay safe and secure where he is, but rather he looks down and he voluntarily attaches his heart to that city. And we know there's nothing in them that would make him do that. And yet God is saying, should not I pity them? In other words, should not my heart break for that city? Listen, this is not a stoic God. This is is God showing us his heart. This is deep concern. But also notice this, it's not just an emotion. God's compassion is marked by action. Remember, who was the one that gave Jonah the idea to go to Nineveh? It was God. God called him. He sent someone to go to that city because he had compassion on them. And consider this. Did Jonah go the first time? No. And God sent a storm. And then a fish. And we've seen today a plant. And then, right, a worm. And everything else. He's he's constantly at work in making sure that city and his people have that heart for that city patiently disruptive. So here we see God's compassion. It's not stoic. His heart is attached to that city. And it's also not passive. It gets active. It actually engages so that change would happen. So here are the two contrasting compassions. You have Jonah, 
who on the one hand is driven by self and comfort, and then you have God who voluntarily attaches his heart and gets involved where it goes. And you know, you get to the end of the book, and we've said this from the beginning, the final verse is a question. And we're all wondering, right? Jonah, how are you going to respond? What are you going to do next? And of course, we said over and over again that we don't know. And that's the point. Because the point is now, what are we, the reader, going to do? The really, there's, there's two contrasting paths here. And only two. It's either... On the one hand, embracing a Jonah-like compassion that is driven by self and comfort. Or another one, God's compassion, where you voluntarily and willingly attach your heart to others and getting involved. And the question is, which way will we go? So let me just assume that we want to go with God's compassion, right? In some ways, Jonah has been, it's been a satire. Jonah's silly, he's senseless, he's foolish. You watch me like, I don't want to be like that. That's the point of the book. So then how do we, how do we grow actually in having God's compassion for the city? I'm going to give you three things. We've got to look in, we've got to look up, and we've got to look out. So firstly, in. Um, you know, you've heard this a couple times here, but there's a, there's a tradition that at the end of reading Jonah, the congregation would stand up and they would say, we are Jonah. And brothers and sisters, one of the most important things about the book of Jonah is it is to hand us a mirror to look at ourselves and see ourselves in Jonah. It is meant to humble us. So let me ask you some questions, questions I've asked myself this week. Are we more concerned with our garden than people? Are we more concerned about our career than we are about the spiritually lost in our city? Are we more aware of our next purchase to build a life of comfort? Or are we searching out the needs around us, even things that don't have anything to do with us, to invest in them? Now, I ask these questions in one sense to just have you join me in my misery, you know? Because there's seeds of this in all of us. It's meant to humble us. But you know what's remarkable, and I wasn't aware of this till this week, is, is hearing another pastor talk about this, but it's interesting to note that the book of Jonah was most likely written by Jonah. And that means something. Think about it. Um, Jonah's one prophet, or sorry, one vocation is to be a prophet. He is a horrible prophet, <laughs> right? And yet, right, 
I don't know, 10, 20 years later, he writes a book in which he shows everything, all his warts and all. I mean, can you imagine your vocation? Let's say you're a programmer, or let's say you're a doctor, and you're horrible at it. And then 10, 20 years later, you write a, a book telling everybody how horrible you were, but that they might be better, right? It's like, that's what's happening here. Jonah feels completely comfortable in his own skin, sharing who he was. And I think that's the key, who he was. Because God had done a work in him. In other words, this is meant to humble us. So where you see self-driven comfort and lack of compassion, refreshingly own it. Jonah did. You have to start there in being honest with yourself. And recognize too that there's no way There is absolutely no way possible you get out of this in your own strength. But secondly, you've got to look up. Listen, the compassion of God we see here is remarkable. When you think about who Nineveh is, where God willingly attaches his heart and is active. But friends, you know this. If you've been here for a while, you know that God's compassion is even more vividly displayed Years later, when the true and better Jonah arrives, Jesus. I'll give you um, one example. There's a scene in the Gospel of John where Lazarus, a close friend, has died. And Jesus shows up. And by the way, he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He said it earlier on. He's going to take care of it. And he meets Mary, one one of the sisters of Lazarus, And she says this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, that's honest. And then John notes this in verse 33 of chapter 11. When Jesus saw her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And this translation does not even get to the... It's just... It's not a very good one, (laughs) okay? When it says deeply moved, in the original, it means he snorted with anger. Jesus is angry. And he's not angry at Mary, or Martha for that matter. He has seen the ravages of sin in this world that has taken someone he loves, And has died. And even though he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, even though in that moment he knows this is not the end of the story, verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus weeps. God is not stoic, he's deeply invested. And then you must know that then Jesus, what does he do? He, he gets involved all the way to the point of going to the cross, taking care of your sin and my sin. That's how invested he gets. That's how active he gets. He sees our misery, our need. B.B. Warfield 
talked about Christ. This, he said this, Christ said, I will die for men, and so mighty was his love, so colossal the divine purpose to save, that he though nothing, thought nothing of his divine majesty, nothing of his equality with God, but absorbed our needs, our misery, our helplessness. In other words, God has shown compassion towards you and towards me to rescue us from our sin and our misery. Not because he had to, not because he was forced to, but because he voluntarily went. And he's not stoic about you, he's not reserved about you, he's done all of that for you. If you're gonna grow, right? If we're gonna grow in God's compassion, you have to look up. Keep looking at what God has done for you in Christ. But it can't just leave us there. It's got to call us to look out. And let me invite the band to come back up as we close here. Um, I've been thinking about this all week. You know, how do you wrap up this book? Um, and I was thinking about what if, like, Redeemer City was known for something like the compassion of God? Like, what would that look like? And I for sure don't have um, the perfect answer to this, but let me give you a couple ways I think this could be lived out. That I hope this will be lived out in my life and your life. Think about this way personally. Where does God have you in your week? Where God has placed you? Think about your work. Think about your neighborhood. Think about your hobbies. Think about your friends. One of the marks of we're growing in compassion, I'll say, be something like this. Where people in those places, there would be individuals that would begin to entrust their lives to you who probably believe very differently than you. What do I mean? <laughs> Listen, this world is so deeply divided, so deeply self-focused that there's something about a breath of fresh air when people around you actually care about you. And that takes time, and that takes consistency, and that takes questions, and that takes concern. That means voluntarily doing some things that you maybe wouldn't do because you're stepping into their lives. That would mean something like, and by the way, this is true too, it doesn't mean you have all your life put together. I mean, seriously, like if you're, for example, if you're a mom and you are getting like no sleep and you're exhausted and you're tired and you're short with your kids and whatever else, do you understand that Jesus actually meets you in that and that there are other moms around you who are experiencing the same thing, but that Jesus makes a huge difference in your life and you're not perfect, but you get to share that hope with them. Or think about you're anxious at your job because you're not sure about this next thing or this next thing. Guess what? There's a ton of people around you that are the same way, but guess what? Jesus can meet you there. And as you struggle, as you point them to the one you look to, that changes things. It's just living every day, knowing that he's with you and for you. And then secondly, I was thinking about this collectively as a church. Um, you know, the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, 
our hope and our dream is that Redeemer City would be a church in this neighborhood that would simply be known that this is a church that is for this community. We want them to know us. We want to know them. We want to know who they are. We want to know their needs. We want, we want them to know our needs. We want to be invested in them. And we're not there yet, right? We got a lot of room to grow, a lot of parties to throw, a lot of intentional outreaches to do. Um, but I'll share this. One example is last, a week or two ago, I was talking to a pastor who had who had, like over the last four years had thrown some consistent, you know, parties in their neighborhood. And he told me one of the, it was interesting, he said, um, three months ago, someone showed up at our door at the offices and their life was a complete wreck. And they had never attended any one of our block parties, but they knew people who had, and therefore they knew there was a church that would be there for them. And listen, think about it, right? The first opening story is, they're not looking for the church, and the church isn't looking for them. But friends, do you see it? That's the picture. When you embody the compassion of God, as you see his compassion, and you own your lack of compassion, and then you look out, that's what changes things. So Redeemer City, if you open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4, flip the page, it's Micah. Oh, that's next. Actually, it's Jonah chapter 5. But we're writing it. We're writing it. Let's pray. Father, um, we (laughs) confess our need for you. We recognize so much in this passage how much we are like Jonah. And we are grateful that you are a God who is compassionate and kind to people like Jonah, (laughs) who are driven by self-centered compassion and comfort, but that you are willingly able to take those kind of people and make them to be instruments of your mercy in this world. (laughs) And we pray. Maybe it's a plant, maybe it's a worm, maybe it's a heat. I don't know what you're going to do, but would you please shape us to be a people who embody your compassion, who embody your love for the city. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.